thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you, Father, that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Father, that you honor your word. You hasten your word to perform it. We thank you, Father, for the presence of the Holy Spirit here in this place and in us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I'm going to start this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This one meaning of this word perilous uh, is usually uh, understood to mean dangerous. But one meaning of this uh, Greek word that's translated perilous in the English is strength-reducing. Strength-reducing. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Folks, if we summarize the characteristics or the behavior that this list gives us, we could say that in the last days, strength-reducing days that the devil tries to bring against us or does bring against us, the outstanding characteristics of mankind will be self-absorption and dishonesty. Well, this has been quite a week, hasn't it? <laughs> Folks, I've got to tell you, I have an inward witness. Don't have any direction or words from the Lord, but I've got an inward witness that President Trump will continue to be president of this country. <laughs> Brother Hagin used to say that he goes as much by what the Lord doesn't say as what he does. Well, we've got, uh, we've got evidence of that in John chapter 14. When Jesus is with his disciples on the, uh, the last, well, at the last supper, he said some things to them about, well, one thing he said was, in my father's house are many mansions. But then he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, I would have told you. God's not trying to keep any of us in the dark about anything. And if this thing was going to go, this election was going to go in such a drastic change of direction as a Biden presidency would bring about, he would have told us. But he didn't tell us. I have absolute confidence that this thing's going to turn around. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs. I'm not privy to any information that you don't have. But you know how that um, before the election, there were different sports personalities and famous people coming out and endorsing one candidate or the other. Well, some of you men may remember the boxer, heavyweight champion of the world for a while, Joe Frazier. Do you remember him? Yes. Well, he voted for Biden in spite of the fact that he died in 2011. 
Now, folks, I don't care what anybody says. That indicates a deliberate, intentional act to game the system. It's going to be funny as the weeks go by to see how much of this thing change, uh, how much this thing changes, and to see the, the dishonesty by one political party to make a change in what the will of the people is. Folks, I want to speak to you this morning for a few minutes on being strengthened in spirit. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. If the devil has strength-reducing plans, then we need to have strengthening plans. Amen. We need to recognize the works of the devil, the deceitfulness thereof, so that we can guard against it and stay strong in the Lord no matter what's going on around us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That tells us very specifically, folks, that spiritual strength comes from the Holy Ghost. There are two legs of the Christian life. One is that create the foundation for uh, the believer. One is the Word of God. You remember when Jesus was telling his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 about building your house on the rock. He said, I will liken a wise man unto a man that builds his house upon a rock and the storms come and the winds blow and the rains come down and it does not shake that house or make it to fall. But he said, a foolish man is one who hears the word but doesn't build his life on it. Same storms come, same rain, same wind blows and it destroys that house and great is the fall of it, Jesus said. So if we're going to be strong in spirit, we're going to have to be strong in the word. We're going to have to accept the word of God at face value and live our lives according to what it tells us to do Amen. to keep from being swamped or destroyed in these last days. But there are some other things that we need to talk about in this regard as well. We could talk about the importance of being a doer of the word and speak on that subject until Jesus comes back because you can't exhaust that subject. But I want to talk to you this morning specifically about the other side of it, and that is the work of the Holy Ghost to make us strong. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is addressing the Corinthian church in a very specific way, very specific manner because of the things that are going on there, we see through his writings to the Corinthian church in this letter that he wrote to them, we see that the, the Corinthian church is chaotic. There are things going on in their services and their, their church life 
that are confusing people and causing them to have a bad name among the people of the city of Corinth. Apparently, when they're coming to church, they're speaking in tongues to such a degree that nobody knows what's going on. And it's causing people in the city outside of the church to think that the people of God are crazy. So Paul tries to bring some order to it. And the way that he brings order to what they should be doing rather than what they are doing is he tells them about how the Holy Ghost operates. Now, folks, think about this. If the Corinthian church wasn't such a bunch of weirdos, we wouldn't have any information or the specific information that he gives us about how the Holy Ghost operates. We owe a great debt to this chaotic church because it helps us to avoid being called crazy, at least some of us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, after the 13th chapter identifies the love of God as the most important thing, even when it comes to the moving of the Holy Ghost. Verse 1, he said, follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. The word gifts there is in italics. It means that the translators added this word to help us understand. In this case, it does us a disservice because it really says, uh, to be interpreted literally from the Greek, it says, follow after love and desire spirituals. Well, nobody would know what spirituals is talking about, and that's why they added the word gifts here. But the word spiritual, which is in the plural in the Greek, literally means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So he says, follow after love. Love is the first thing that all of us should uh, exalt and commit ourselves to. But he says, follow after love and desire the things that pertain to and are of the Holy Ghost. We ought to have a desire for the moving of the Holy Ghost. Folks, that's part of what I see coming with this election. The things that are going to be exposed and revealed. The things that are going to take place and come to light. I'm really looking forward to some of this. There are going to be days when things seem to go against us and other days where things seem to go for us. The fight is going to be fought. We don't need to stick our hands in the sand and say that everything's just going to be hunky-dory. But the Bible talks about in several places how that people that put snares out for the people of God, the kingdom of God, get caught in their own snares. There were a number of cases, a number of places in the scripture where God delivers his people Israel from enemy armies because the enemies begin fighting each other. I'm looking for some of that stuff to happen. The Bible says that God sits in the heavens and laughs at his enemies. I can't help but be impressed of the smile that's on God's face right now. But I'll tell you something else. It's going to bring sorrow too. It's going to bring sorrow to many of, the, of Christians that have aligned themselves with people that are, are operating against the will of God. 
I believe that the church is going to have to answer for what we did. How we voted. How we operated among ourselves and toward one another as well as toward the world. It's a solemn time just as much as it should be a time of rejoicing for us. Because believers have allowed themselves to be deceived in a great and great and mighty way. Follow after love and desire things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, but rather that you may prophesy. Now when he says rather that you may prophesy, he's talking about in comparison or in relation to speaking with other tongues. Remember the specific situation that's going on in their church. Here's a church that comes behind in no good gift. That means they've got the power of God in operation in their churches. But because of a lack of knowledge of how the Holy Ghost does operate and wants to operate in, among the people of God, then they're bringing disrepute to the church and the name of Jesus himself. So desire things pertain to and of the Holy Ghost. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, verse 2, speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, folks, there are people that take the position and have throughout the years taken the position that Paul had a very dim view of speaking in tongues. But he says here, that speaking with other tongues is speaking divine secrets. Wayne's translation says divine, uh, I, I'm sorry, in the King James it says mysteries. The Wayne's translation says divine secrets. Now folks, if divine secrets are being spoken by us when we yield to the Holy Ghost who gives us the utterance in other tongues, how can anybody say that that's unimportant? How can anybody claim that speaking divine secrets with God is something we shouldn't want to do or shouldn't commit ourselves to. How many more things are, how many things are more important than speaking divine secrets with God? It'd be hard to crack that spot on the list, would it? For he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. But he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. So Paul is taking a position trying to explain to the church at Corinth, the Christians at this city. He's trying to explain to them that their church services should be handled in such a way so that everybody understands what's going on. But if you skip down a little further, you'll find in verse 18, Paul says, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Well, if he speaks in tongues more than this, this bunch of people who are known primarily for speaking in tongues in their services to the point where people are saying, this is crazy. What's the point of coming and being part of this? If Paul's speaking in tongues more than that group, he's speaking in tongues a ton. He says in verse 5, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. He's not talking about in your individual lives. He's talking about in church. He's saying it's, it's great for everybody to speak in tongues, but 
for the understanding of the church, it would be better for people to prophesy, which is speaking by inspiration of the Holy Ghost in a known tongue. I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesied, for greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. In other words, he's saying speaking with tongues and the interpretation is the equivalent or the equal of prophecy itself. It's like two nickels as opposed to a dime. They both together have the same value. Two nickels has the same value as a dime has. But one nickel without the other leaves people without understanding. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I speak unto you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? He's saying unless tongues, speaking with other tongues, brings about these things, revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or doctrine, then there's a better way. And that we should, we should shelve the speaking with tongues for the sake of prophecy because it is something that everybody can understand. Skip down in verse 9. So likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to, to be understood, how shall it be known of them or known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Paul is saying every manner of speech has a significance to it. But as Christians, we should evaluate and identify what would have the greatest value for the, the the circumstance that we were in. This being a church service, it wouldn't do you any good if I started speaking in tongues and spoke in tongues for the next 30 minutes and then said amen. How's that going to help anybody? It's going to do wonders for me. <laughs> but it's not going to help you any. And that's why Paul spent the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians talking about love. Because love should be the motivating factor for what we do and how we comport ourselves. In other words, love should be the factor, the overriding factor that keeps me speaking in a language that you can hear and understand and not in an unknown tongue. And again, that doesn't devalue tongues. That's certainly not Paul's intent. But Paul is all about preaching and ministering the word of God in a way so that it can change people's lives because that is the victory. John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, there have been, for many, many years, maybe going back to the early church, there are people, believers, churches, that exalt the, the speaking with other tongues and the other gifts of the spirit manifestations of the holy ghost above the word and it always leads to chaos and that's the way that the devil is pushing this corinthian church to go understand what the devil is trying to do if he can't keep the church from accepting and recognizing that there is a baptism in the holy spirit with attendant manifestations of the holy ghost then he wants to push them over onto the other side of the road, the ditch on the other side. 
and let it be chaotic. Create a situation where chaos rules so that nobody is reached. But again, Paul said, I wish that, uh, he said, I speak with tongues more than all. What did that manifest in Paul's life? Keep that in mind. If Paul said that he spoke with tongues more than the rest of the church at Corinth combined, what did it produce in his life? Well, one thing it produced was an understanding of the word that was greater than anybody of his day. I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul claims to speak with tongues in his private prayer life. Apparently, God didn't use him much in tongues and interpretation of tongues in public. But he recognized that speaking with tongues was critical in his prayer life, in his individual life. I don't believe it's coincidental that the guy who said he spoke with tongues more than everybody is the one that brings us the revelation that the world will be judged by. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Paul speaking with the church at Rome. Verse 26, he said, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. This word infirmity means weakness. The only time it's used in Scripture to mean sickness, the sickness is identified in the context of the use. So here he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. We have weaknesses. How does the Holy Ghost help us in our infirmity? Well, what infirmity is he talking about? Well, he lists the next thing that he means. He identifies what he's talking about. He said, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, we're limited by our lack of knowledge. We don't even know the things we don't know. You'll get that at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> But it's true. Paul encouraged the church to pray for all believers. We, we don't know all believers. How are we going to pray for people that we don't know who are in situations that we don't know without the help of the Holy Ghost? We can't do it. So if we're going to fulfill the instruction, act on the word, be doers of the word, even in the area of prayer, we're going to have to speak and pray in other tongues so that we can do what Jesus instructed us to do or what the Holy Ghost told us to do. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This phrase, groanings which cannot be uttered, is a tough one. It's a tough one for the, the translators. Now, the King James Bible was translated in um, 1500s, something like that. We don't know anything about the translators. You know as well as I do, and I say this a lot, but I can't help but say it whenever we start talking about translations. A translation is only as good as the translator's knowledge of two things. First is the translator's knowledge of the, of the language. It wouldn't be a good translation if the translators didn't understand the language. 
from either the language that the scripture was written in, in the New Testament, it's Greek, or the English language that they're translating into. They have to have a good working knowledge of both languages to provide an, ac an accurate translation. That's easy to understand, right? But then the second thing that the translators are going to have to know is the character and the nature of God. Now, if the translators don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I don't know if they did or not. There's not much evidence that they did believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost or speaking with other tongues or the miracles of God. But if they don't have a good working knowledge of the character and the nature of God himself, then there are things about the truth of the word that they could never reveal to us. That's why it's our individual responsibility to judge what we read, judge what we hear. So here the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to write to the church at Rome. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. P.C. Nelson was asked about this translation. He was, in his day, the foremost authority on the Greek language and the second most knowledgeable person about the Hebrew language. He had all kinds of degrees and education. And somebody asked him in a group of, of ministers, they asked him about this phrase that was translated with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he said... Just what we've talked about, he said, it's a, tough it's a tough thing to translate. Probably the easiest way to translate it is God talk. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with God talk. Paul, we didn't get that far in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But Paul talked about what good does it do if I speak unto you with the tongues of angels, but I don't have love. Paul calls speaking in tongues the tongues of, uh, the, tongues of the language of angels. Folks, the important thing to, to see and recognize in this is that speaking with tongues transcends the the physical realm that we live in it's speaking divine secrets it's speaking the language of angels what could be more important than that likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered or God talk and he that searches the minds or searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, you can't pray anything contrary to the will of God by speaking in other tongues. You remember Jesus talked about if we know how to be good fathers to our children, how much more is our Heavenly Father good to us? You remember the, the uh, examples he used to make that statement? He said, if a son asks for a piece of bread, will his father give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Here's Jesus using an illustration of a comparison with a fish, which is good for eating, and a serpent, which is always the sign of the devil in, in Scripture. I remember when I was a, a kid growing up in the Baptist church, there was a church down the street that spoke with other tongues. And it created a, a, a real interesting set of discussions among the Baptists. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the Baptists loved God with all their hearts. But one of the things that got started being spoken of and, and uh, uh, spoken about is that some of the people in the Baptist church said, well, you can't trust this baptism of the Holy Ghost thing because some people have sought for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spiritual gifts and have got something from the devil instead. Well, Jesus said in, John, in uh, Luke chapter 13 that that's impossible. You can't ask God for a fish and get something from the devil instead. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, folks, everybody's heard that scripture, verse 28. Everybody's heard that. In just about any situation, any setting, you'll find a denominational Christian or a believer that will gladly quote that verse, or a part of it at least. Well, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I've heard that used at funerals a lot. Well, we don't understand why Joe died, but we know that all things work together for good Folks, the context of that is that all things work together for good after you pray in the Holy Ghost. The context in verse 26, which is the Holy Ghost helping us by giving us God talk, resulting in all things working together for our good. Well, what causes all things to work together for our good? Our prayers in the Spirit are praying in the Holy Ghost. It's not just some automatic thing that God works everything out for people's good. Because you know as well as I do that there are a lot of Christians that are sick that are praying, Lord, if it be your will, let this sickness pass from me. Well, the Bible's real clear on God not wanting anybody to be sick. The Bible's real clear on Jesus dying not only for our sins, but also for our sicknesses. With his stripes, we are healed. But those things come by taking hold of them by faith, not by praying, if it be your will, Father. Faith is necessary to receive everything of God. Nobody ever got saved by saying, if it be your will, Lord, save me. 
Because that phrase, if it be your will, is a destroyer of faith. Because faith begins where the will of God is known, not wondered about. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And so the idea, the Bible says very clearly in James chapter 5, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Well, here's God telling us how things work. If you or I or anybody else want to change the system and say, well, now I know the Bible says that the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, but I'm going to pray if it be God's will. That's what James called being double-minded. He said, let not a double-minded man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. So here's this working of the Holy Ghost. Giving us utterance in other tongues to speak divine secrets or to speak God talk. Or even to speak with the tongues of angels. This means of praying, the Bible says, brings edification to you. Now look with me to Jude. Jude chapter 1. Well, there's only one chapter in Jude. I've never known whether to call it Jude 20 or Jude 120. But the 20th verse of what Jude wrote he said, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, we're talking about spiritual strength or being strengthened with might by the Holy Ghost. Here's Jude giving us another proof in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's Jude telling us that speaking with other tongues or praying in the Spirit, those are interchangeable terms, speaking with other tongues builds you up or strengthens you. Now, here's the second time we've seen the word edify. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, we read, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Here, Jude is saying, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That's a different word for edify, but they both mean pretty much the same thing. They're both construction terms. It means to complete a building or to complete a building process. But there's probably a better illustration for us to use in our day of electronics. And that is to edify yourself is like recharging a battery. Well, it's not too far a jump for us to recognize that something that speaks divine secrets would be an edifying process. I mean, if... Speaking divine secrets didn't recharge your spiritual batteries. What in the world would? Now remember, Paul was the one that said he spoke with tongues more than the Corinthian church. More than all of them put together, really, is what he said. What kind of effect did that have on him? 
What kind of results did that bring about in his personal life? Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Paul is in the city of Ephesus. He stays there for about three and a half years. Longest time he stayed in any one place. He's having the greatest revival in Ephesus of anywhere he ever went. Ephesus was a crossroads city. It was a place of great commerce. It was a seaport. And so there were people from everywhere that made up the population of Ephesus. People coming and going on trade routes, buying and selling merchandise, shipping merchandise from one place to another. This is also a place where the seven sons of Siva tried to cast the devil out of a person. You remember the story? The Bible says in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, how God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were taken to the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Paul's getting deliverance for many people and healing for many people that are sick without even having to be in the same location as them but by sending these aprons and prayer cloths. Nothing had been known up until that time along that fashion. And that's why the Bible calls it a special miracle by Paul's hands. Well, it tells us about these seven sons of one rabbi named Siva that came upon a guy that was demon-possessed and they attempted to cast the devil out of it. And they said, we adjure you 